How about now? That's much better. Oh, is that better? Yes, thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, where were we? All right. I'll just reintroduce myself. That'd be good. <laughs> okay. So here we are. We are taking off on another crazy ride. I think this one's going to be kind of nuts. And I want, when I you had texted me about the topic, I... I really had some like crazy stuff like go through my mind, but then I thought, well, maybe that's for like another episode. I might have some crazy stuff in like threaded through the conversation, but we'll keep it to sort of the context of what we want to get to. Anyway, I'm co-piloting this hot mess. Kevin Ross coming at you from the mic and the cockpit here. And just to put all of you passengers at ease, Marie Rittenhouse has the throttle and, uh, you know, you're safe. This this ding dong over here is not piloting. You say <laughs> this the flight. throttle, but what about the brakes? So, oh, is that that's better? That's why I couldn't hear. Oh, you. <laughs> that's why you hold on a second. I don't want to come in too hot here. You know, can make for a crazy takeoff and landing. Anyway, right. so I loved that you text messaged me about this topic. So we really we wanted to talk about our previous employment. Yes. And then essentially how that really had segued, how it laid the groundwork for where we are today. That's right. Where where are we today? We both have taken quite a winding path, I think, to get to this point. You could say that. And hopefully, (laughs) and I think this show is going to be uh, very winding Mm -hmm. today. So, um, and it's interesting because I'm going like analog. I'm actually like writing notes. I wanted to, I, because I could ramble. A little bit. So I wanted to be very purposeful, very mindful of people's time and energy of listening to this. So the three or four of you that are tuning in, we appreciate it. So let's just jump into this. This is our first recording session since our podcast has gone live. So anything to say about that before oh, well, we jump in? Nobody has hit us up on social, so we don't have any questions or comments. Because we like, have no socials. Yeah, we have no social for this <laughs> just yet. Let's we'll figure that out, folks. Sure. But you can go to where's the airport.com to actually you can listen on there, but we're also on like Google Play, Spotify, all the places. If you just go to where's the airport.com, that's actually where things will be happening. Also, too, we are recording in my home studio, so you may hear my dog in the background. I mean, that's the thing. Oh, no, wait. We're in we're in the air. That's Sorry. right. The dog is delivering the drinks. It's not someone breaking into the cockpit. It's just the friendly no, Stella. neighborhood lab. Stella is delivering refreshing beverages. Although Stella's, you know. Stella's, exactly, <laughs> exactly. She's got her own thing going on, her own branding. So when you had, well, uh, yeah, so, oh, and there's actually like roofing happening next door. Like everybody's getting their roof replaced, so from the storms. But I think they're on a lunch break right now because I don't hear anything. Anyway, so I love this topic. We're going to be talking about like our past employment, our previous employment, and what, and like how we think this has really shaped who we are as individuals, but also as entrepreneurs. Right. So... Do you have, like, do you want to jump in first Mm -hmm. off, like your experience? Well, I was just thinking about how, you know, some of the people that I've, I've recently been talking to who are building teams in their businesses have a lot of anxiety around hiring the right people. And they, they, they aren't sure about, you know, 
I think having the entrepreneur mindset, you, you definitely want people to buy into your vision of your business. And when you introduce new elements from the outside, it's hard because you have to look at their background and you have to kind of try to think about how their previous experience is going to relate into the job that you're hiring them to do. And I do have to do hiring and firing in my position. And I've learned over time to work with all different personality types and kinds of people. And I think it's very much related to the fact that I've had a huge spectrum of different jobs in my lifetime. I've done everything from food service and retail to administrative stuff. I've worked in human services. I've worked all different types of jobs over the years. And I've learned how to develop those relationships with my managers and the people that I have to manage. And I'm learning more and more over time, you know, how best to coach people, which is definitely a tough skill for me, you know, offering people the right feedback in the way that they're going to receive it the best way and um, different communication styles. And I know like the hot new thing is uh, having your employees take like personality tests. And I, I actually have never had to go through that in my employment history, but I would love to hear your take on <laughs> the that as a recruiting tool because my personal opinion is uh, that it's pretty interesting and can certainly lead you to make assumptions about people that m- might not be true. But in, in any case, um, I think that having the ability to build relationships is really, really important to building the right teams. And it also impacts the way that your teams are going to be able to sustain, you know, a working relationship over time because, you know, people are going to have personality conflicts and um, it's just going to happen in business, especially in the startup world where it's really stressful um, that's even more likely that, you know, people are going to butt heads every now and then. And if you have the ability to to build good relationships with your people, you're going to have a more solid foundation. And I was just reflecting on, you know, kind of how I got to this point where I feel like I've, I'm capable of building solid teams. And I, I think it's interesting kind of how people approach that process. Agreed. Well, most of the people that I work with are just crazy anyway. So, <laughs> well, we all kind of are yeah, to an extent. We're a little tweaked. So, and I don't think they'll mind me saying that. Um, so, what is it like? Because you talked about the gamut of the jobs that you've had. Are there any specific examples, like a specific place that you want to name, or maybe not name, and ha- that has helped you evolve into who you are today? Um. Well. One thing that's jumping to mind is uh, in college, I had a side job where I uh, cleaned the dorms. Wait a minute. I did the same thing. <laughs> did okay, you? Okay, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> so I, I learned a lot about my peer group, <laughs> the differences between men and women <laughs> and the men's dorms and the women's dorms. But also just um, watching people's interactions, like their roommate interactions, 
um, who would keep their door open, who would keep their door shut, um, RAs sort of managing conflict among the masses. And I picked up a lot of insight into people and how they interact in that in that job. You know, it it was a lot of uh, putting my head down and cleaning and listening <laughs> to what right. was going on around me. <laughs> right. Well, I, and I mean, so you cleaned the dorms while they were still in there? I would clean like the bathrooms, mop the hallways, um, like wipe down door handles. Uh, there was common areas on each floor, so I would vacuum and disinfect and, you know, make sure those areas were clean. I would take out garbage, uh, recycling. Um, if people had food, like there were certain students at CU who seemed to think that the hallways of the dorms were like a hotel hallway where if you had room service, you could just yeah, leave it just outside leave it the out. door and somebody would take care of it magically. Right. And so I would have to knock on the door and say, can you take care of this garbage? Oh, wow. <laughs> and so um, clean windows, that kind of thing. So, yeah, while people were in them. not, And then I would help with the summer, like, deep cleans. Okay. But uh, that wasn't, like, the main gig because I had uh, a weekend position where I worked in a, uh, a group home with intellectually disabled adults. And so during the summers, I picked up way more time at that job. So I didn't have a ton of extra time for cleaning. Gotcha. Yeah, I just did the summer clean out, like when everybody was gone. So we would actually clean the dorms and then the other crew would come in and paint. Oh, I see. But we were, I remember like working in some of the apartments where, so the apartments were three or four floors and there was the, like we were throwing mattresses out. Oh, gross. And I remember like throwing mattresses out, um, but doing like really stupid things like, oh, well, we're on like second or third floor. Let's just jump off of this onto the mattresses. Idiots. Yeah. Yeah. That's safe. Yeah, Yeah, very safe. Very safe. Well, you know, and for me, like you're kind of hitting on some of the themes, like these overarching themes. So, you know, my work history started at a very early age based on, I think, just gravitation, like pulling toward like that freedom of making that money and having some kind of purpose. And I mean, like as a kid, mowing lawns, yard sales. Like I would try to collect things around the neighborhood that people were throwing away and I would like resell them. You know, it's too bad that I didn't start eBay because that was kind of like what I was doing. You know, like I would go around like with my wagons or, you know, on my bike and I would just try to collect stuff that I could sell later. Like maybe I could fix it up and sell later. So I had to be very resourceful because the money that I wanted to spend on like going to like Seven Eleven or the arcade to play or to get a Slurpee or any of that stuff, because my mom didn't have any spare change. Like there was a point when I was eight years old and she stopped working. And so like there was like welfare and all this other. St- so like there, there weren't, you know, there wasn't a, a lot of surplus. No. And even to the point where I had to like chip in a little bit mm-hmm. on a few things. So like if I wanted things, like I had to like work for it. So, you know, that that created that work ethic at a very young age. But then, you know, I realized, okay, like I would I would diversify my portfolio. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't call it that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like I would have the lawns, but like let's say that I couldn't mow the lawns. 
but I would have friends that would borrow my mower. I would lease that out for like a dollar or two. Oh, you and know? then they and could then mow they the could lawn. And then they could mow the lawn. They pay me for the use of the mower. They'd have to buy their own gas, though. And then, I, I mean, you know, so I'm making money and not having to mow the grass while I'm doing my yard sales or my lemonade stand. So I guess very entrepreneurial at a, at a young age. And I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily attribute that to any one person. It was just that I knew that working was freedom. It was power. It was you wanted something and you went after it, right? Exactly. Um, which is kind of crazy coming from you know my background of not like my mom wasn't an entrepreneur, but what I did see her do was okay. I'm disabled. She used to make jewelry, so she would go to a craft store and buy beads and you know, like gold strands and all this other stuff. And I would even help her make the jewelry. So, and then she would sell it to, she would go back to her places of business where she used to work and people would buy her jewelry from her. So like that was pretty entrepreneurial. Yeah, absolutely. That actually just popped in my head. I didn't even remember that. And I literally was helping her make this jewelry. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so I guess there was some of that from my mother. You know, like just kind of selling things that she was creating instead of trying to like hawk the diamond or hawk the crystal. We didn't have any crystal. But anyway, <laughs> just saying, just saying. But then I diversified further, like when I was 11 to do a, a paper route. And I think that was my first job as well. So now did you on your paper route, did you do the whole biking thing or walking or whatever? Like how did that, how did that roll for you? Uh, so most of the time I would do it on my bike. Uh, I would do the whole subdivision that my parents lived in. It had probably like a hundred houses on each side. So I'd load up my huge, like heavy bags with papers, do one half, go home and load them back up for the second half. Um, but in the winter time, my parents were kind enough to allow me to toss the papers out the passenger side window of the car and- <laughs> awesome that's what they do now yeah i see the person just like going down the street just boom 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 yeah. like i was like oh wow boy th- how things have changed <laughs> i but i mean it it started at home i would have to stuff the papers into the bags right and, or rubber band them and uh you know if it was windy i put rocks in in the bottom of the bag so it wouldn't blow off the porch that oh, kind of thing so how creative man they had high standards you had to get the the paper to the front steps or the porch. It could not be on the driveway. Yeah. So was this like the daily paper or the weekend paper? This was uh, the local Broomfield paper. So it was once a week when I started that job and then they expanded to twice a week and Uh my income doubled when I was like 13. I think I gave the job up when I was 14 because then I was old enough to get like a, a more scheduled job at a restaurant. And so I worked as a server um, at Village Inn for a summer. And then my next job after that was uh, a CD store, I want to say. Wow. I lifeguarded for a hot second somewhere in there, but I hated that. It stressed me out. So I didn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not like you get that like golden tan, do you? Do you just sort of burn? I pretty much burn, but it was an indoor pool. Oh, indoor. Okay. It was still like, I was scared that like, I mean, I was 14. I was scared a grown adult would drown and I wouldn't be able to get them to the surface. Folks, if you're swimming somewhere in a public (laughs) pool, make sure to check and see if anybody's anxious about saving your life 
Because Not a good sign. Right. Doesn't inspire confidence. Right. Maybe the standards have been raised since then. I don't know. Now, with your paper out, going back to that, did you have to go around and collect money or anything? Or was it or you just got paid because the local paper it like, was a free paper. Yeah. So uh, I did not have to knock on doors. But um there were certain people who very apparently angrily called and said they didn't want to receive that rag and so I had to remember which houses to skip. But oh. other than that I did not have to collect funds and I was just paid I think like four cents a paper. Okay. Okay. No, I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, our paper, so it was every day. There was not a Sunday paper, but it was every day of the week, and it was Saturday mornings. So, but the way it was, was that the paper was, so it was the following day. So it was like the following date or something like that. Because, see, I had to, you know, when I got out of school, I got out of school at like 2.30. Then I would go home, and the kids that were in high school they would be driving the vans to drop off the papers at my house. Then I'd fold them. Yeah. And then I'd head out. So like I had to at least get the papers there by somewhere between five and 6 PM uh, when people got home from work, because it, again, it was like the next day's paper. Right. And so like that was the deal. And then Saturday mornings was early. I mean, that stuff would get dropped off at like four thirty-five in the morning. <laughs> and then my butt was out there on the bike, but I did actually have to collect money. Oh, okay. I had this like ticket book and did you ever see that movie Better Off Dead yeah. with John Cusack? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that $2. was... $2. Yeah, $2. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. Don't have a dime. Didn't ask for a dime. Two, all right. I'm just, <laughs> check out. That'll be in the show notes. That's Better Off Dead. It's an awesome movie. And so I wasn't like Johnny. I wasn't abrasive. I was actually a nice kid. You know, like I like to talk to people. And the thing was, is like... What I realized from that, like collecting paper, like collecting the money once a month, but then also just delivering papers. So I'm an only child. I have no problem being by myself. Like I am so good at being alone. Like I sometimes thrive being by myself, but I know that there are plenty of people that are lonely. And so I learned like the storytelling and the listening and just sort of that compassion because like. I could I like I would deliver a paper and I be I might be for some people one of the only touch points of their day. Mm-hmm. Like because like they'd be waiting on the front porch or they would open up the screen door like when I would be coming by and like they just kind of chat me up just a, a cuz they knew I had to go like I had to I had to get all the papers delivered but for some of them like that was it. Yeah. You know, especially for older folks that may not have grandkids or the grandkids were not around. And so I realized like, you know, that, that was kind of an overarching theme is that work isn't just about like you making the money and providing just that, that service of I'm delivering papers, but I'm also delivering like me, like access to like a human being and engagement service. Yeah. Yeah. So like that was kind of a big overarching theme at a very young age. Mm -hmm. So like, I loved that job. I kept it for a couple years until like to to your point till I could actually get a job. Right. And so that experience and and we've also both worked in restaurants. I think there's also something about working in the service industry um that I think it, it's a good dose of humility usually for people at a younger age uh where you realize how hard people have to work to kind of deliver these conveniences to your life you know whether it's the paper to your front porch or 
you know, your meal to your table, correct? <laughs> right. Keeping your coffee cup full, you know. I, there's something about, I, I think that has definitely led me to a different viewpoint as far as um, talking to people. You know, in a restaurant, you have to do a lot of talking to people. Even back at the house jobs, I, I think they have to, you know, be able to communicate and it may not be with customers directly, but there's a lot of that, you know, time management and working with a whole, all different variety of people. You do. Yeah. You do. Especially like when they're not at their best or not feeling their best. Right. So, hangry. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so, I remember after the newspaper, I got this job at this place called Captain Sam's. Seafood stank. I mean, like, oh, it was gosh. good food, but like, you only, like, whatever you wore in there, forget it. Like, don't wear it anywhere else. Like, even if you're washing it, Oh man, it just stunk. So I was a dishwasher. Okay. And it was like all these kids. And like, that's the one thing, like that was the theme was like this guy, Doug Deffenball actually. And he passed away. I looked him up. Like I looked him up. Yeah. He passed away in like 2014 or something and very interesting dude. But like they hired, he hired like kids Mm -hmm. and like even kids like myself that he knew really needed the money or like if I didn't have the job, like I might've gotten in, like, I don't know that I would have gotten in trouble, but kids that probably would have gotten in trouble, like at risk. So yeah, we started dishwashing and you come into contact not only with some disgusting stuff, <laughs> true, <laughs> but people like the, the wait staff that just were unhappy. Cause to your point, food service, like my cheese isn't melted. This fish doesn't taste like fish or it's too fishy or whatever. And they come back and they throw the plates on the on like the, the, the deck. Uh, and you're just like, Hey man, like I didn't make this stuff, you know? And so like, that was another thing of like, okay, I'm not at the front of the house, but what we would actually do, like my friends and I, cause we were friends, like we were all like in high school or middle school, high school, uh, together. And we would just like joke around with the wait staff, like get them to smile, tell them something funny. We would quote movies all the time. Raising Arizona. Stay up on that pop culture. Yeah, like Raising Arizona. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. Like it would just be nonstop. <laughs> and like the wait staff would just be like around us. <laughs> yeah. Like just like, I need to come in here. I need to come back in the kitchen and just get some laughs because these people are driving me nuts. So then that was like another theme of like, okay, I can help entertain and take the edge off. Mm-hmm. And just be like myself and be stupid right? and not worry about what the customer thinks. But like these women, because they were mostly women, actually, that was the one thing. He only hired female wait staff to come to think of it. Anyway, whatever. So <laughs> I love that you're realizing this years yeah, later. I just realized that. <laughs> but they were all, like I said, very sweet, but they had their own challenges with the customer in the front of the house. You know, and you're talking in Virginia, mm-hmm. people might kind of grab you somewhere inappropriate or they might say some inappropriate things and this wasn't like a seedy place i mean this was like a place to go like to take your date um but apparently people had other ideas it doesn't yeah the the treating of women that way just so you know not a virginia thing <laughs> i i understand i'm just yeah just the good old boy mentality maybe so sure. i'm not sure but anyway but what- i yeah i mean so it's funny you mentioned a seafood restaurant because i also had to my one of my following jobs in 
in high school was working at Joe's Crab Shack, which is a franchise. Right. Or not a franchise, a chain. Yeah, but, it's a chain. It's a chain. But, uh, you know, if, if you're not familiar, listeners, the wait staff, the hostesses, the bussers, and the bartenders at Joe's Crab Shack will randomly uh, burst out into choreographed dance. <laughs> oh, every wow. so often, according to the Muzak being pumped through the restaurant. And part of my training was how to do these dances. Okay. How to give pull us, the customer. Oh, no. Give us a blow by blow here. Come on now. <laughs> how to pull the customers into these dances. Okay. And so talking about uh, humility and engaging with the customer and, and people, you know, nothing says... Uh, <laughs> Nothing says I will do whatever it takes to make a dollar than taking a job where you have to dance <laughs> on Saturday night with a bunch of drunk people at a, at the seafood place in landlocked Colorado. Okay. And I will agree with what you said about the smell of a seafood restaurant. Right. Those clothes are dead. No. Like, those clothes are just, oh my gosh. There's no washing that out. Yeah, no. You you, you wash it just because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> it looks cleaner. But yeah, then you're just like, why did I wash it? Because it doesn't Don't smell wash any it different. with any of your other clothes. Oh, no. Ever. Oh, no. Yes. Now, have you had a job where you said, basically take this job and shove it? Like, you just either walked out there or you just didn't show up the next day or you like so gave a day's notice uh, something like that I have I have left two jobs in my lifetime on those type of terms one uh a, a high school level job and one um in my adult life um fair, 5 years ago when I right before I came to uh, the current job where we met each other. Right. Okay. Uh, so as a teenager, I, I worked in, um, this is another throwback, a CD store. CD. Com- yeah. I mean, girl, I was in the record store. <laughs> well, right. I mean, C- there was a CD section, but it was mostly albums. This is true. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the CD store, it, uh, Sam Goody in the local mall. And so, yes, working at the mall, you you also meet a whole variety of people. Yes, you do. But uh, it was very stressful because um, I couldn't just, you know, live my life and sell CDs. I had to push Virgin Mobile cell phones. This was back when cell phones were a new thing and CDs were dying. And so they... They were trying to make their margins. So if mm-hmm. I didn't sell a cell phone every shift in the CD store, which, you know, that's where everybody comes for their cell phone. Right. Then I was definitely getting my ass chewed out the next day. And I'm not the hard sell type. I would rather just offer some good customer service, help you find your, you know, Drake wasn't a thing, but you're whatever. You're Jay-Z, you're Beyonce, you're sure. country, whatever sure. your your vibe is. Well, was that Destiny's Child back then? No. Was Beyonce- this was this was like right after Beyonce became her own thing. Okay. Like that album gotcha. cover where she's like dripping in diamonds that came out. Oh wow. While I uh worked there. And it was like a big day. There was lines. Oh <laughs> man. But there weren't lines for the phones like there are at the Apple store. There <laughs> no. were just lines for the CD. No, it was just like this kiosk like shoved in the corner of the store. And, you know, we were supposed to like 
chat people up while they were looking for music and walk them over there and talk about how Virgin Mobile was like the bee's knees. I don't even think Virgin Mobile exists anymore. I would assume yeah. not. No, it does. does it does. It? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They they use like other networks. I think like Sprint, I think is one of them. Oh, okay. So it's like Boost. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. I don't think they have like their own network. Like I think, yeah, they just pull I gotcha. from other networks, Okay, you know, but it's just their brand. So anyway. You can tell how it took off from my hard selling people on this service. Right, exactly. Can I interest you in a flip phone? So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's interesting that I think we all have like a point where you're just like, okay, this, and you want to talk about personality tests. Like, you think I'm, I'm, I just want to sell CDs. And then you kind of get this whole like hard push of cell phones. Like, right. well, why, why are, I thought we were like a record store, you know, like a CD store, music store. But, you know, I mean, I get it from a business standpoint, but at the same time, like, yeah, I mean, that, that just seemed like unnecessary pressure that it just didn't fit with you. Right. And I couldn't take the the constant, like, getting my ass chewed out about it. So I walked out. Right. I mean, I literally had been at, at my shift for, I want to say, 30 minutes the day that I quit. And I just said, I can't do this anymore. Wow. Left walked out boy just kicked it up and was like i'm out of here <laughs> yep. and then there were like people cheering <laughs> i <stuff>. wish <laughs> oh you, like, yeah, you go get him in so, my head <laughs> in your head yeah i mean i had a job this and this was high school too like where and i think i told you the story because it involved an elevator i was actually cleaning uh there's a du- there was a dupont manufacturing there's a facility there in the town that i grew up in and they made the Teflon and all the stuff, you know, for carpeting and pans and stuff like that. So, like, I was on the cleaning crew, and we would go in the evenings, and there was this, like, freight elevator that just was not very friendly. And we would get stuck in it. We would, like, you'd hit, like, floor four, and it would go to, like, two. It just just wasn't going well. So, the thing was is that, you know, like, I had like kind of the safety thing at this one point where we were up on the top floor and I can't remember if it was like five or six. I don't know. It was, it was enough that it could have killed us. And essentially like where, you know, I'm going with this, the the whole thing of like, if the elevator is falling and that whole, like, if I jump, (laughs) does that actually work? So we were like, oh crap. So like we got in on the top floor, we were going down to the first floor to grab more supplies. And sure enough, something snapped and this was like the safety features on this thing was there was no safety features so like we fell several stories and like what's going through your mind is like not like am i supposed to jump like what are the physics involved how fast are we going hold on let me get out my protractor like it was like an oh crap moment like oh here we go this is it i'm gonna be dying in this elevator but what what it was was we got all the way down like between like two and one and the cable, because it had snapped or something, it had wrapped around some sp- like pulley and it had caught. And so like we were kind of dangling by this cable. Fortunately, we were able to pry the thing open, get out. Like I'm not like really adding too much to the story, but it was pretty dang scary. You know, and of course, afterwards, you know, we had to change our underwear and everything, <laughs> you know, after I, you know, pissed myself. Um, you know, the boss was like, okay, well, you guys good? Finish out your shift? I'm like, uh what? Like, don't we need to file some paperwork? Like, I'm a minor here. I I think I need to call my mom and let her know, like, 
do I, I need to get checked today? out? Yeah. Like, yeah, like nothing got broken. We were both like, there was two, two of us and we were fine. But like, we both like this guy and I were just like, forget this. Like you care nothing about our health and safety. And like, that was like a moment of like, not everybody really cares. Like somebody just wants you to pull the lever. You're just a, a or warm push body. The button, you know? Yeah, not a person. I'm like, I'm not even essential staff here, man. Like, I'm just cleaning up. Like, I need a second. Yeah. You know, so like it was like, okay. And it was, it was literally like a take this job and shove it. So I remember just like walking out. You know, and the really depressing thing was, is that, so I'm in high school and this other kid that's with me is in high school. And so maybe we got the cruddier jobs because there were definitely what I would call lifers there. And like when I walked out of that job, like I knew I could walk out and find something else or like my livelihood and depend on it. And there were plenty of people there that couldn't do that, that literally like needed the paycheck. And like that was sort of a gut check. Like I knew that because my mom had lost her job and I know like what that feels like, at least as a child, at least experiencing it. But wow, like these guys that I was working with, they felt like they were had no power, like no choice in the matter. Right. Like they were just going to be like, all right, well, I'll just take the stairs, you know, and they'll get the elevator fixed. Like they always do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a minute, always do, you know, like, but right. so, I mean, I, you know, I think that at that point, that was a pivotal, as far as a theme is concerned to say, like, when you talk about personality tests and the right people, I wanted to work around people that cared yes. about the customer, the work they were doing, and, and actually my safety. Yeah, <laughs> that's like minimum. <laughs> right, right. So I think that was big. That was like the job that I was just like, forget it. It's you know? kind of, it's funny you, you bring up people that, you know, have to stay in a job that they, they aren't happy with and they, they're just going through the motions because I have said to you many a time that you and I both have this... Uh, saying yes gene <laughs> where if someone tells us that they need something you and I and and a few other people that we work with have this this thing where there's nothing that's beneath us there's no job that's too big or too small if there's something somebody needs we're there for them and i i think that is a huge part of what allows me to provide like such a good um quality of of myself to people that I work with and why people appreciate my efforts because they know that I'm there for them and that I will drop whatever I have to drop, you know. Just this week I've I've dropped, you know, I had to leave a photography job that you and I were doing together. Yeah. And I I had to delay, you know, working on a big project that I have been working on for months that's uh, coming out uh, this weekend to help out somebody that really needed me. And I, I've been trying to think about like, you know, is that something that's trainable? Is that something you can instill in people? Or is that just something that's base personality, you know, that you can determine from a personality test, for example? Is there a, a a gauge for that that I can crank up or is that something that you either have or you don't? Well, I think there's two things. I do think that there's a nature part of it. I do think that it is instilled in you uh, to some degree. Now, whether you tease that out in your experience and who you're around, I think that's another thing. There are those folks that will just like, yes, just doesn't feel good to them or 
they feel like saying yes the way that we both have said yes professionally is like not in their wheel. Like they just don't feel comfortable with it. Um, there, there are several reasons why people may say yes or no. You know, some of it could just be self-care. And, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with drive. I mean, I think for me, like I had to go to some really dark places that, and I don't mean like unlit. I mean like just <laughs> right. some really bad places to say like, you know, sometimes saying yes really is powerful and and saying no though on the on the contrary saying no i think it's how you approach it too if you assume the person is delivering this ask Mm -hmm. based on selfish reasons and if that's where you come from from go like if somebody's asking something of me it's because they're trying to get out of doing it themselves or or you're not you're not necessarily inclined to see it from their perspective, then you're probably just going to say, not my job. It's not in my job description. You know, I'm not going above and beyond for you. What are you going to do for me? Whereas I think when you come from a background where you you just start to really see that everyone's just a person, everybody's got their own challenges and you start to have to work with all different variety of people out there, then you're not going to say, oh, well, they're just asking because this, you're going to try to see it from other people's point of view. And you're more likely to try to help them out because they're not just a number or a name to you. They're a person that you care about and you want to help them. And you're going to say yes, because you care. Yes, you are. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe it is also like how you kind of set things up as, as far as not the control factor. I mean, it could be the control factor. Like, well, I, if I don't do it, you know, nobody's going to do it or <laughs> right. they're not going to do it as good as I do it. And I think, you know, the hustler part of me is like, well, I'm just, I am a, I am a yes man to so many levels because like, I feel like I got to meet the need. Right. You know, and, and that hunger, like, I also think saying yes and like I said, saying no, I think we could do do a whole episode on, on yes versus no, but yeah, for me, it was like a a control thing as far as like, again, like I feel more in charge. Like if I say, if I can say yes, because like, I know that I can maybe impact somebody's day uh, or change the narrative of that situation. Like if I get involved, like, I feel like, okay, well, if I say no to the situation, what would happen not to say the place would crumble, right? But just kind of getting things done. And yeah, I do think that that nature is definitely part of it. Can you be can you be taught this? Can you learn it? You have to be open to it. Right. I think you have to be open to it because you have to be present if you're an entrepreneur or you have a nine to five. You gotta show up and and just be present. And that's always kind of been something that I have driven toward. Now one of the things that I think one of the places that, um, and I feel like, yeah, about 30 minutes. So like, I, so like, I just want to keep, cause I feel like we can continue to tease a few things out because like, I want to get to like some of the big themes that I think is important for entrepreneurship. But one of the other experiences that I had that I think was very pivotal, I worked at this place and someone in college and I was in Richmond I worked at this place called The Bittersweet. It was this underground coffee shop. And at this point, like I had this long hair, nose pierced, and I looked like, I, I guess I looked like, a, 
some people would say a thug. I was, I mean, I was a rock star, man. Like I was playing drums. We were in bands or whatever. But yeah, it was like this underground like coffee shop that served lunch and dinner. They also had a. They only served beer, so no liquor, but beer. And so two things that I had discovered during my time there, and I really appreciated this this place. This is was actually another place where I really started teasing out like who I could really be, because I was around like some very artistic. I'll say people. Uh, some other people would say like more goth, <laughs> a little dark, uh, very eccentric, um, very unusual. You know, sort of the thing. The people that kind of got kicked aside. But a couple things that I realized during that that um, experience, not only just being in Richmond, like I met some really off the beaten path people, and I have some really good friends from that that place. But I also had. I think had some hardwired things occurred to me or some things that kind of popped up. So one example is I remember working during the day at the bittersweet and I remember this guy coming in and he looked like he was homeless and I had seen him around. But the thing was, is this guy was a kid. He was a college kid that had, um, he didn't get whatever he needed and come to find out he actually had Tourette's. I had no idea what Tourette's was. Like I, I had heard of it, but you know, obviously, I was in college. I was like a music major at first, so I, I didn't know why this guy, like, he was coming into the restaurant, and like he was like all these expletives, like it was just like, and it was just coming out of his mouth. And at first, I thought he was just upset, and then I realized, like, oh, this is like on like a rhythm, like it's on a, t- it's a tick, and he had some money, he had some cash. And he want all he wanted was like a burger and some fries, but he wanted it to go. And I had been at the bittersweet for a while. So like, this wasn't like a new experience, but I had been there. And so, and so he wanted it to go. And I went back to, I put the order in, I went back to the, um, the kitchen, told the cook, I was like, Hey man, can you throw in some extra sides and stuff and some fries? And I said, give me a basket for here, but also just give me a box but don't put it in the box. So he was sitting at the end of the bar and he, I could tell he was like trying to beat back tears. Cause like, he just kind of kept like ticking. Like it was just like this. And he would just apologize and apologize. I'm like, dude, man, you know, I can't get you some water. I got him some water. And when his food was ready and I just, I talked to him, but I could tell like he wasn't much for conversation, but I just wanted to let him know he was cool there. So I got his food and I, it was in a basket, uh, like we had served it for people that were there. And so like, I brought it to the end of the bar and I handed him the basket and I was like, you're more than welcome to stay here and eat this in the comfort of this place. And then I put the to-go box to the side of it. And I said, or if you like, I can pack it up for you and you can head on your way. And he started crying. And then of course me, I'm like, Hey man, come on. You know, I'm trying to like beat back the tears myself. Uh Like, Hey brother, it's good. I mean, this kid was like, I mean, he was a kid. He was probably not even 20 and it like come to find out, like he lost his financial aid. His family had kind of like disowned him because for various reasons, like I don't want to get into many details, but he got off his meds and his therapy And so he became like, he couldn't hold a job. He couldn't like, and he was depressed. Like he was just down on his luck. 
And I don't need to go into details about like, you know, like our conversation, but at that point, I realized like I had to level up my whole game now. It wasn't just people that were either quote unquote like me or even a little bit different. Like these were, there was a very underserved population that didn't feel welcome in the world. Yeah. And that moment was the moment where I was like, I got to change my major, you know? And that's kind of when I went in more into like, the healthcare space and get my biology stuff, my microbiology, <laughs> my patho, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, what am I doing? But it was that point that I knew I needed to do something completely different than studying music, which ultimately probably, I don't know if I would have had a future. I, it just depends on like, you know, cause I have friends that studied music at VCU and I think they're like, they are real estate agents or something. So I, whatever, whatever, yeah. you know, but that was, that was huge for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, and one other thing that I wanted to say too, and, and this kind of um, segues into entrepreneurship is one of the waitresses, Kendra, and I looked her up. So she and I were, were to get like, um, she was like two years probably ahead of me, maybe three years in college ahead of me. And so she was kind of waiting tables and then there for like years and mm -hmm. she be kind of became a staple there. And then she ended up leaving and then things at the bittersweet didn't go so sweet. Like things were <laughs> more bitter, uh, bittersweet the theme of it was based off of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, okay. So yeah. And I had left as well. And then at some point, like a few years down the road, I came back just to kind of help out. But then I didn't realize that the the old the owner, the previous owner, she was exiting and Kendra had come back to the space and she was buying her out. Wow. So like that's a, a like a moment. Like if you're waiting tables, you're a bartender, you're whatever in a small business like this, you never know what's gonna happen. Yeah. Like the, like Kendra felt like I can make a go at this. I can make this place something special. And I pulled up an article like in one of the magazines in Richmond. I don't know if the bittersweet is still in business, but there was an article about her and she was still running the place. And this is many years. I mean, we're talking like in the nineties and like I saw an article like in the 2000, maybe 2012 or something like that. So I don't know if it's still open, but I was just totally amazed to see like, she's just like restaurateur now. So, I, I, you know, I mean, she was never a chef waiting tables, but you never know. And a female, right? Right. And totally. a woman yeah. who said like, I can make this place something really special. Yeah. And she took it over. So I thought that was pretty awesome. I don't know like how I like went from like the Tourette's to, to that, but I think they were just two inspiring things that yeah. made me realize like, wow, things can really shift, you know, based on your experience and your job. Right. So, um, as far as like, you know, my entrepreneurial stuff at that point, that's when I really, started segueing into eBay. And I think that's where I got my, my start was not, not the mowing the grass and the lemonade, but really like my taste for, I can do the, I can do something on my own, provide a service to people. And the internet was kind of coming into play. It was still dial up. Yeah. You have mail, you've got mail. So I didn't have AOL though. I never had an AOL account, but those, those discs, they would just keep coming. And with like more and more, like you get, I, I would love to know, like, if that was like an, a, a successful tactic for them. Sending CDs? Yeah, like somebody had to have studied it like internally. Like, why are we spending money on this? But like, I think my parents got an AOL disc in the mail as recently as like 2008. 
Yeah. I mean, d- computers were starting to not even have optical drives in 2008. Yeah. I Well, no, because well, then it, at one point, I think it was it a floppy. Not a floppy. It was the the one that was up from like why why am I like drawing a blank on just like the the disc? I mean, it it had like very little space on it. I mean, yeah. but yeah, like CDs were coming in the mail along with Virgin Mobile phones. By the way, <laughs> they were just like just flipping those things out. A nine inch floppy to like a three inch floppy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it was that at that point, like with the World Wide Web and this whole computer thing, because I never grew up with computers. I didn't have email in college. Uh, well, I did. But then I never really used it. And it was at that point I was like, okay, I can really make a go at this. Like I can reach people. And that's when I started like figuring out how to build websites. And then eBay came around and somebody had told me like, hey, you know, I sell concert tickets on there. And that's how I got my start. Like I I had very little money to my name. And I was able to take that $200 that was left on my credit limit, my Capital One card. And, you know, the ones that you get, hey, get a free T-shirt, man, you know, sign up. I'm like, great, fantastic. I need clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, hey, brother's got to One get less the- day to do laundry. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and so, you know, I had that card and I put some Pearl Jam tickets on it and the rest is history. I parlayed that into more concert tickets, paying people to stand in line for me at the t- at Ticketmaster and then buying them online and then going into clothing and toys and all kinds of stuff. So like that was kind of like my big like entrepreneurial break, I think, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but, you know, there was still something missing because I hadn't really gone to nursing school. I hadn't really like because here I was like going over. I had, I had studied. I'd done all these prereqs and stuff like this was when I was out of college or like as I was getting out of college. And. You know, but it was that point, like I I needed the money quick, but I needed also, you know, I wanted to do good work. Right. You know, and at that point, like I needed flexibility because I needed to take a few more classes and I, you know, life was happening. I, I, you know, I just, I didn't want to wait tables anymore. So that, yeah, there were just a lot of things. Um, And I, you know, like I said, I'm thankful that eBay kind of helped me parlay and realize like what the, like the power of the internet. Right. You know, but the overarching thing was one of the things I want to talk about is money is that if you're customer service focused, if you're culture focused on like the people that you work around and client facing, I, and and this was a big thing. Like when I was at, um, so delivering the newspapers, talking to those people, being like a friend to them, being like, I would get big tips. Like people would like tip me well. And yeah. I didn't know like that was not a thing. Like I thought all the paper boys got tipped well until like I started talking to the paper boys. Like, wait, what? How much money? You're getting that kind of money? <laughs> I mean, there was a point too, like where, I mean, most people, they would pay you with cash. Well, everybody would pay you with cash. Sometimes people would give me wait, a check. Ca- cash? Cash, cash. Like, mo- like paper money? Right. Weird. Right. But, <laughs> but, you know, honesty and integrity was a big thing too because I remember somebody handing me a $20 bill and I changed that out. I mean, the paper was probably like six bucks a month or whatever it was or, or every, I don't know. And I give, I remember giving them the change and I walked, you know, they closed the door and I walked past and I was putting the money, their 20 in the bag, my, my bank bag. And I realized it was two $20 bills stuck together. I mean, cause that's the thing folks, if you don't know cash and you don't get it from the, and sometimes you're, the money can get stuck together. So I remember about face, go back up, knock on the door and say, Hey, these twenties were stuck together and I handed that $20 bill back and I didn't realize how impactful that was to somebody because 
come the following month, uh, when it was actually, I think, Christmas and I was collecting, I got that same $20 as a tip. Wow. You know, and they were That's basically like- a big like, tip for a paper boy. For a, dude, $20? Yeah. I mean, granted, it was around Christmas, but they were basically like, you know, you don't come across people like you every day, especially kids and stuff, which sounds terrible. And I'm like, I, I would think that that's not true, but it just, it made me feel good. Like, okay, doing the right thing, you know, that that's, that's important, but also that customer service. And so same thing, like at the bittersweet, when I'm waiting tables, the, the servers were like, I don't know how you're getting like, you know, 30, 40% more in tips than we are. We're doing the same hustling, busting our butts, delivering the coffee and the food or whatever. But it is, IQ is is important, but EQ is so valuable in this space. And you just, I picked up on people like, hey, feeling down? You know, like, you know, throw them a couple extra fries or something. Or, you know, here, let me get that coffee. Let me keep that coffee hot for you. Or, you know, like if I get a second, sit down with them. Right. And like, just talk to them. Right, exactly. Especially college kids, you know. And that's the thing, like I was getting like bank tips from college kids because <laughs> I mean they're broke yes if there's anybody <laughs> they're broke and so like and then sometimes I would get creative tips mm-hmm. like hey we don't have a lot of cash but you know you get like some keychains some condoms some <laughs> you know like all like a pile of you know just sort of smorgasbord like <laughs> whatever little, was in their pocket a little you gift know? basket a little <laughs> gift basket of stuff I'm like oh these, these are great these thanks stickers <laughs> Um, but no, like, and, and I had another food service job, same thing. Like every time I worked, it was a tip jar that was up by the cash register. And like every time you're working, why are there like, you know, cause normally you tip like the change, right? You know, how come there's like $5 bills in here? Like, I don't know. Like I, I got to a point where people were coming in for like ice cream that didn't even like ice cream, <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> just but to see ya. just to just say, Hey, how are you doing? How are things? Like, I like talking to you. So you know, that's when I realized like, okay, this again, and that was another trigger, like, okay, I got to get myself back into sort of, okay, I got to help people here and get out of food service. Yeah. Not the food services. It's, it's not sexy. I mean, it, it can be, you know, you can really help people. So can. it's funny. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, and now today I am a full-time entrepreneur, but I'm also, I'm a registered nurse. I finally like finished that whole thing. You know, cause it was like, I started out on it and then like money got in the way. And so then I had to like peel back a little bit. Then I got that entrepreneurial like lifestyle going. And then like, I was like, Hmm, do I really want to go get a job? Because I thought like, go back to school or, you know, go back to nursing school and then go work for somebody else. Right. So, but yeah. you kind of did. I mean, you worked in a hospital environment for a while and got I did. that experience. I did. But see, that was another thing too of like. And here's another thing, folks, like for inspiration is I graduated uh, from the University of Colorado and then I said, I want to go to the best hospital in the country to work. No experience whatsoever. I flew out there, interviewed, and that's another thing too about just personality, right? It's not like answering the questions of like, what does this lab value mean or whatever? It's like, who are you? Like, what's going on? Like, I want to, because if I'm going to be working with you, and it's the same thing. Like, if they're going to be working with me, let me share a little bit about myself, you know? So I flew out there, and when I got back from Boulder, I had a message saying, like, hey, you got a job here. We will um, move you out here. Because I was newly married, and then 
I had a, uh, Flynn was just born. And so like they paid to move me out there almost like, like they saw me, but like I had no experience. Yeah. Zero. Like in the clinical setting, like I, I did some work at the VA hospital. Like I was a, a, a clinician there, but I wasn't like registered. I didn't have a license or anything like that. So I was kind of an assistant, but you know, it proved like, go for it. Like yeah. never feel limited because something seems so overwhelming, so powerful. So like, Oh, I can't do that. You know, and that was kind of proof. And then, yeah, from there, I spent like two wonderful years there and then came back to Colorado and then built the business that I have today, first out of necessity. And now it's still out of necessity because <laughs> I need that flexibility for that soccer hustle, right? you know, to be consulting. And now we're doing this like photography and video gig, which kind of gets me into like, I think the whole lifer thing, my cousin and I love her dearly. Of course, she's she's doing something completely different now. But for years and years, she worked at the same job, yeah, same employer. And I'm like, wow. I think all these experiences can like uh, like help you level up your game by just different people you experience, different kinds of jobs. Be like, I'm not doing this again. Yeah, it's funny because like I think that there's this idea that if if an employer sees that you have a different job every couple of years, they're gonna ask what's up. I've I personally have never looked at someone's resume and said, like, why have you had so many jobs? Right. I, for me, it's like, you know, I guess it might be a red flag for me if it was like very, very short stints, like only a couple of months. It seems like they couldn't stay places. But to me, having a lot of experience, especially if it's relevant in the field, you know, it's just going to bring more and more perspective to your ability to hang. And I don't know what people have gone through. I've had bad bosses. I've had tough teams to work on. I've had situations where company policies changed and I couldn't, I couldn't stay, you know, there anymore. I've, I've moved, you know, to different areas of town. When I first got married, I had to leave a, a job that I really, really loved because we had one car and I couldn't be, you know, 50 miles away in South Denver with our one car all weekend. So, you know, it just wasn't possible anymore. We had to share. And so I, I wanted to stay there, but there's a lot of reasons why people might hop around. Um, and I, as, as far as like how I look at people when I'm trying to determine how to build my team and who to hire a personality match as you pointed out and like, who are these people who like, what's, what's beneath the surface is much more important to me than like, did they check every box on my job posting on Craigslist? You know, maybe they don't have direct experience in the field, but if they, if I can see that they have an openness to doing what needs to be done, if I can see that they have, you know, the, that yes gene, even to a, you know, a lesser degree, you know, where I can see that they're willing to be flexible and talk things through. That's far more important to me than, you know, credentials or what, you know, their cover letter said. I need to know the person. Yes. Agreed. Well, and I think for, for those that would be listening to the show right now. So a, a couple of things is that if you have a job and you, maybe you, you want to stay in your job and you're fine with it, or you want another job. Maybe you don't want to be an entrepreneur because we wanted to talk about entrepreneurship, but 
the I think the big thing is, aside from like personality, is you need to make yourself indispensable. You know, you need to bring so much value. And that's what I talk about the presence. And if you feel like you're in your current situation, you can't do that. Well, first off, get something else before you go. Don't tell me that you're in the unemployment line because you quit your job because you listen to this podcast. Although there are so many jobs out there. I mean, there's like more jobs than people. At least in this area. There are. But what I will say is that make yourself indispensable. And I think that was the big thing. Like when I talk about the money and the tips and just sort of that customer service, that client facing side is that, you know, the money follows when you provide value. It just, it does. And you can kind of level that stuff up, whether you're in employment and you're asking for a raise or you're pivoting over to another job or you start your own thing. You make yourself indispensable. You provide so much value that people are like, I didn't even know we needed someone like you. Right. And you provide value to the people that you're supervising. Yes. So I only very recently started my first position where I was actually supervising employees. And for me, it was it was kind of a culture shock. Like I have always enjoyed having the boss to kind of defer to when I didn't feel like, you know, empowered to make decisions. But also, I definitely struggled with like, okay, these people are looking to me for something. And I had to, I had to let go of, you know, wanting things done the way that I thought they would best be done. And I had to definitely learn a completely different communication language and how to coach people through without just telling them, do it this way, but also help them learn, help them grow in their job, help them uh, feel empowered to make changes Um not micromanage. I mean, I'm not a micromanager by nature, but I just, I had to learn a whole different gamut of skills when I, when I took over that kind of position. What was your first job where you had to manage people? Mm, I would say when I, I mean, I would say in a restaurant, yeah. So like restaurant management, which, whoo. Oh, oh, a restaurant manager, like re- managing the servers. Well, like managing, um, yeah, like I would say like, yeah, managing the staff. And a lot of the staff were very youngins. They're youngins. Yeah. So, which was kind of funny because like they were probably only like a few years younger than me. Um, but yeah, like that was certainly challenging for sure. And except for like managing like my, my lawnmower biz, you know, like in my lemonade stands. <laughs> right. like, Those were more like contractors. Yeah, you know, exactly. Out the- yeah. 1099s, you know, so <laughs> uh, I think I still actually owe some people some 1099s. But yeah, like I would say my first run at management was likely, yeah, like it was in restaurants. So like not only the fact of like managing people, but in such a stressful environment. Yeah. And, you know, like a pool of people who are just like, you kind of max out at like 24, 25. Oh, so not the type of restaurant where you had some lifers, some people no, who had been there. No, a lot of turnover, like yeah. a lot of people, you know, because it was just sort of just young and, and you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, it was just, it was kind of like the bittersweet. Like there weren't a ton of people, like it was mostly college students that would, you know, and then they, 
maybe they would last their entire college career. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not. So it was kind of a similar situation. But yeah, like not a ton of lifers. I mean, there were there were definitely there were a couple people that maybe were youngly young married people, and you know they just needed a little side gig or they liked it or whatever. But yeah, that was probably my first stint. So how about you? It's funny, like when I first became a, a manager of a team that I had, I thought back of like, okay, well, what are the qualities of the best bosses that I've had? And what are the qualities of the worst bosses that I've had? And I kind of like made this mental checklist of like, don't do X and always do Y. And, you know, uh, like when, when people need time off, you don't question that shit. Like, right. pe- you know people need their time and i and i've never been so where are you going (laughs) right are you sure you're sick like how sick are you right i need a. I need uh i need a physician's note please (laughs) so i i'm sorry i just yes you need to spend lots of money that you don't have insurance to go get that that note for me no yeah it's ridiculous man okay anyway go (laughs) but i mean uh i don't know where i was going with that but i just i just had to think about like you know being in a position where you have to empower people and coach people is so different and adds a whole different layer of stress into a job where you want to be, you don't just want to say yes to the tasks, but you also have to say yes to these people and their personalities and who they are. And, and even when you disagree, you have to mediate conflict and not take sides and, it, it, it's it's difficult. It's, it adds this challenge element to everything. You know, it's not just like, oh, well, I'm going to go in and I'm going to grow the department and it'll just be the way I want. It's like I have to get buy-in from these people on my team and we have to work together because I can't grow the department on my own in a vacuum. Right, right. You know, or the business or whatever the situation. Yeah. I, you know, and I think this is a this is a perfect example of, um, instead of ask permission, uh, you know, the whole thing of, you can apologize later after the fact. Uh, I do remember being very disruptive in my management position in human services out here when I first uh, got to the Boulder area. And like, that was a management position where I had to manage like quite a lot, not only like finance, uh, of the department, uh, growing, and then also the staff themselves. And I do remember kind of showing up and apparently I was a maverick or something. <laughs> I, so the direct staff that I supervised, apparently like they were like this guy, awesome. Uh, the finance department and like other departments, I don't think that they were very happy with me. And come to find out, part of it was just that I think people were just phoning it in and they were like, who is this guy that just comes in like and this makes big, this work? <laughs> and yeah. Like this big personality or whatever. Like, let's, let's make some change. Let's do something like everybody was complacent. Okay. So I don't want to name the place, but what I will say is that, you know, over my time, like my time there, I had gotten people raises. I had retention, like the company had never experienced. I had turned the, the, the department completely around as far as like it was losing money. And then it actually was not losing money by the time that I had exited. But I had to like really anger a lot of people and feel comfortable doing it because I wasn't being, it wasn't intentional. Like I wouldn't be like, no, we're not doing it this way. It was just like, I'm just, I'm just doing this right. And you're going to see the results. You're just going to see the results. So it was me like going against the grain and showing like, 
you have your process and I, and that's fine, but let me actually show you how we can get there by doing this. Right. And it was my department to run. And fortunately I had so, like a, like my boss, like, let me just be the maverick. Just let me like, you know, he was goose, <laughs> you know, he, he's my boss, but like, he was like, I, I, whatever you need, man. And, uh, but it was actually a woman who had hired me originally and she really liked that, but then she ended up leaving and then this other gentleman had taken over. But the short of it was, was like, that was a point where like, I knew, okay, like I'm in a position to help people, like to help advocate for people, you know, because it was always like, well, the manager before you never like really listened to us or, you know, I couldn't get this, this and that. Like if people needed time off, yeah, you need time. Okay. Yeah. We'll figure it out, you know. Or I'll I'll ju- I'll jump in, right? You know, I'll I'll work with the folks that we're we're serving here, um, and that's not typical of human services. There's no quicker which is way crazy. to lose your people than to question when they need their time. You know? Exactly, especially when you've gone through training and said, you know, don't get care burner caregiver burnout is a thing, and right. we don't want you to be burned out, but but don't take time off. Right, <laughs> right, and I think you know that was a big thing of of me working in a very tough environment and initially like pissing off a few people and then they came around and then like not burning bridges like you know no bridges were burned everything was good I left on good terms I even was able to kind of come back to that situation like temporarily just to kind of consult and help out um, because this is when I was went back to nursing school so you know that being said like I think it, it just reiterates like show up like because it's hard to argue with someone, I think, and somebody might be like, you sound like a complete idiot, but I think it's really hard to argue with someone that just shows up, is present, and says, I am going to rock faces today. I don't know exactly how I'm going to, I'm just going to do it, okay? Right. And I'm going to try my very best to be here for you, the the employees, my colleagues, coworkers, and the folks that we're actually serving. And I think it just, it just makes a huge difference. Well, going that extra mile, I mean, people see that your heart is in it and they're not, they're not going to make that base assumption that you're saying no because of, you know, a, a bad reason. If they can see that you are willing to go the extra mile, then they know if you say no, there's a reason behind it. Yes. Because, uh, you know, I was the yes man. So if like, if a no came up, they were like, oh, well, he doesn't really say that so that, yeah, there's got to be something behind that. And I think that, you know, that's kind of how you build loyalty. That's kind of how you build, uh, because I think people are more loyal to people than they are the place. Right. And I would agree completely. what it comes down to. Like the place could either burn to the ground or it will still thrive without you. But I'll tell you what, like when you exit and if you're in a position of power, like supervisory role management there, if people kind of flock, not, not necessarily where you go. But like if they start kind of pulling out because that that person that replaces you, I, I'm just saying that mm-hmm. I think people are, are loyal and just devoted to each other. I mean, plenty of people will stay in a job because they're like, oh, but I can't let Mary down. Yeah, you can't replace those relationships. Yeah, like I just, I can't let her down. So I, I, I'm going to stick around. But then there's also the whole point is, you know, take some advice here, folks. Like if you don't feel empowered, you don't feel like you need to show up or you can show up or whatever and you know, maybe it's time for a change. So, you know, look at that. And I mean, we have jobs, but this is a side hustle. Podcasting is our side hustle. Video and photography is our side hustle. So get a side hustle, start there, 
and start feeling fulfilled, empowered, and doing your thing on your terms so that your nine to five or whatever it is, you can still be present because you know someday it might go way back to the CD place trying to sell Virgin Mobile phones <laughs> or the elevator just fell several stories, several floors, and you were like, I got to go. Of course, I'll go on good terms. Like I, I don't possible. I don't always, recommend yeah. just walking out of a place like give notice and because you never know when you were going to cross that bridge again. And it doesn't feel good. You know, even when you're in a horrible job that you hate, you know, my last position, I had my resignation letter written for three months before I left. And I wanted to walk out of that place every day. I mean, long before I even wrote the letter. Right. But I, and I, when I left, there was that moment of like, oh, I'm free. But then it felt bad. Yeah. Not just because I found out that same day I was pregnant with our second child and there was a moment of panic. Oh, man. But uh, <laughs> but also because I knew like those relationships were over. I, I couldn't reach out to those people. I couldn't explain why I had to go. And I knew, you know, they were going to be let down by the fact that I didn't give any warning. And I knew that the place, you know, was going through a real culture change and and I wanted to help them make it better and I wanted to be a great employee but other people who had more power than me wanted something else and ultimately I I couldn't do anything about it and then you know I was put in a position where it was like go or stay here and be even more miserable than you are now and we're going to blame some stuff on you that wasn't your fault that you're going to take the blame for. And, you know, long story short, I wasn't going to do that. But it, it didn't feel as good as I ho- I thought it would to walk out. I, I wanted to have that moment of triumph and toss my keys at <laughs> the HR director and say, you could take this job and shove it. But right. it, it, it was more like driving away crying uncontrollably. <laughs> yeah. So like instead of like the movies, that's probably reality. Right. It's like you do feel bad about walking out. Right. And so. it's not as empowering as you think it'll be. Right. Right. Well, so I think all of these experiences are going to help you just, I think, realize, like, say, hey, this is going to get me to my next. And if you're at your final and you're cool with it, that's cool. But I, I, I don't think you should always define yourself, you know, by your, you know, your career and your job, you know, because your next could be something else. Like, there are plenty of people that just leave and say, okay, well, I'm retired, but then they take on something else. Oh, yeah. It shapes you. It molds you. It helps you develop into who you are um, today. Yeah. Uh, we could do a whole job on retirement our plans for retirement oh the oh yeah we could do yeah like a whole sh- oh yeah man I don't i'm know never if, gonna retire i don't think so i don't think so <laughs> i don't think that's for me yeah well we've been talking forever oh, like over an hour <laughs> oh, and great. you know what i anticipated this to be like an hour-ish show like i don't know if we're gonna break this up into two chunks yeah. but if like the the last listener that's still left uh at the back <laughs> of the plane you know i can't leave because i can't get past the drink cart <laughs> The dog just left it there and I can't get past it, you know, these seats. So anyway, um, do, do we think we, we summed it? Like, I think so. I think we made some good okay. good insights. Okay, good.
good. Well, hopefully somebody has some usable information here because yeah. I actually took some notes. Wow. So I, hope, I hope you did too. <laughs> I hope you did too. Mental notes. Right. So whether whether it's a job or, you know, your job is to become, you know, an entrepreneur, I, I do hope that you look and assess at your own situation and say like, all right, these are the tools, little bits here, you know, each and every job, each and every experience that you can take into your next. I think that's the thing, like, you know, kind of wipe the slate clean, you know, you get to a new job and boom, it's a new beginning, but don't just jump shot jobs because you're like, I need a new beginning, you know? So, all right, folks. Well, I don't apparently have any control over the throttle and the drink cart stuck in the back. So I'm going to go unstick that. So this last (laughs) passenger can get off of this and be like, get me out of here. My ears are bleeding. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to be signing off on this one, but I just, I appreciate you tuning in if you're actually still with us. All right. And as we circle down for a gentle landing in a tropical location, uh, make sure you tune in next week for our next episode and we'll see you pretty soon. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one, folks.